communication at Washington State University. Um, it's been a whirlwind of a year, folks. Um, and I'm going to share some thoughts about that here over the next few minutes. Um, but I just want to, you know, again say, just express how grateful we are to the Belgrade Church, both my wife and I. Um, just consider ourselves so blessed that the career that God has enabled me to have enables us to spend summers in Belgrade, um, where I do my summertime work. Uh, and obviously that means getting to fellowship with, uh, with you folks here. Um, and that has been such a great spiritual blessing to us over the last several summers as we've gotten to do this. Um, and pray that God willing, um, that time continues for us. Um, before I get into the lesson, though, um, I do want to you know, ask for some prayers for people um, going through the extreme heat in the Pacific Northwest. You know, I was scrolling social media the other day, and, and you know, oftentimes we joke about the weather, and, and ha-ha, you know, looking, you know, we're here, they're there, temperatures are nice, we're surrounded by great, beautiful mountains. Um, but we don't think about how, how this actually is a bit of a weather crisis um, for folks living in those communities, because a lot of people don't have central air conditioning, and um, in fact, in our primary residence town of Pullman, Washington, the city has already opened up an emergency cooling shelter um, for the citizens. And, and, you know, the same thing is going in, on in Spokane. In Portland, yesterday I saw a post that said 107 degrees in Portland, Oregon. Um, so I think we should be mindful and, 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 and pray for, uh, for people's health and safety because that does represent a health risk. Um, for folks. So just kind of keep that, that in your mind. I want to say that being asked to, to speak is extremely humbling. Uh, in no way, shape, or form do I stand before you today as any kind of an expert on about anything. And we're going to get to that point in a minute. Or someone who has figured things out. Um, honestly, this past year has been a spiritual battle and a spiritual struggle um, as life has knocked us around. Um, and it's brought out many of my flaws that I need to be aware of and correct and repent from. And, and so, you know, I'm going to share today kind of a little bit of a different kind of lesson where, I just, where I'm going to share some thoughts that I think God has had the mercy to show me in this time, in this season, in this year. Um, there's going to be a whole lot of scriptures. You know, and a year ago when I spoke, I taught on one single chapter, so this is a bit of a different experience. So there are going to be a whole lot of scriptures in this, which I, actually I think is probably good. Um, let, let God's word speak. And so let's dive in. There's the title of my lesson. What do I know? I think I said that appropriately for me. Shrugging my shoulders. What do I know? Now, if I just left it there, this would be the shortest sermon ever, and we could all go eat lunch. But, hopefully of benefit to all of us in this room, myself included, 
we'll get something out of these next few minutes by thinking about the subtitle there, which is getting back to some basic truths. And some things that I think, thoughts that God revealed to me as I kind of reflected on life and some things I was going through. So the way this, this lesson has come to me, or this talk has come to me, is even weeks before Chris asked me to step in and sub on this Sunday, I was well, meditating and trying to listen to God as we t- spoke about in the adult Bible class this morning. And I started thinking about perspective. And what do I actually know? And a scripture came to me. And it's the scripture in Romans, although, you know, this is somewhat taken out of context because this scripture out of Romans 9 is where Paul goes into a very, very in-depth, complicated discussion of God and Israel and who's saved and who may not be saved. But in that moment in time, It really made me, in terms of thinking about what do I know, this scripture pricked my heart. From Romans 9, verse 20. Who are you, you foolish person, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Scripture that I think makes us kind of say, okay, well, what perspective do we actually have? You know, my career in going to graduate school, you know, as Val would say, has given me a thinking problem where I tend to think too much. And that's an exercise, a life experience that really makes you question what you know and what you don't know. Outside of Scripture, I remember in one of my graduate seminars, early in my graduate program, reading a novella called Flatland. It was published in 1884. It's this very short novel about characters living in a two-dimensional world and the perspective you would have in a two-dimensional world. And these characters throughout the storyline of this novel travel to a one-dimensional world, and then they get experiences with a three-dimensional world. But the point that was being made is We have a limited perspective on life. And we all need to keep that in mind and think about what we know, what we don't know. Because I would say that it's every bit as important to think about what we don't know and consider what we don't know as what we think we do know. So in doing all this, I think it's obviously important to get God's perspective on human knowledge or human wisdom. There are a couple of scriptures that I think particularly bring this out to me. From the Old Testament, a warning from God, from the prophet Isaiah, about how feeble and frail human wisdom and human understanding can be. Isaiah 29, 13 through 14. 
Because this people approaches me with their words and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And their reverence for me consists of the commandment of men that is taught. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelously, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the understanding of their men who have understanding will be concealed. God's speaking through Isaiah about the frailty of human wisdom. Jumping forward to the New Testament, to the writing of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18-20. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Scripture I think we're all familiar with. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the understanding of those who have understanding I will confound. Where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? Limitations of human knowledge, human wisdom. Reminds me that I need to be kind of a buzzword that I've heard over the years now, intellectually humble. Recognizing the limitations of knowledge and what I think I know. And I need to be very, very careful and intellectually humble when I think I have it figured out. And I think I know stuff. Because as the scripture says, I might not. In fact, I probably don't. So thank God that God didn't leave that there for me and say, oh, you don't know anything. That was the job of my professors in graduate school. Remember early in my Ph.D. program, my mentor said to me, she said, Paul, you know you're ready to graduate with your Ph.D. when you realize there's no way you're ever going to know everything you need to know. Other mentors throughout graduate school said, you know, the purpose of graduate school is to make you feel the dumbest you've ever felt in your life. So, thank goodness God doesn't leave us there saying, I'm going to destroy women, your wisdom, I'm going to destroy your knowledge. But he's a God that's, that carries us past that conversation in our head. And it was in this time that I think God, God revealed the importance to me of getting back to basics. Some fundamental truths. And I'm going to share three fundamental truths that came to me in this time with some scriptures. A few thoughts. So basic truth number one. Well, this is as basic as you can get, right? There is a God. Are we all on the same page there? Amen. There is God. But wait for it. I'm not him. Right now my wife is saying, no joke, buddy. The title of this lesson should probably actually be, 
why and how Paul needs to repent. And this is a no-duh point, but I want to tie this idea into an outstanding lesson series that Chris has given recently about gods that fail and the God that never fails. High on the list of gods that fail, and I apologize if you're in the room right now, and I'm forgetting who did this, but Wednesday night at our Bible study, Chris was revisiting this topic, and he asked, you know, what are some gods that fail? And someone in the room said, self. I said, guess what? You just covered one of the points in my lesson for me. Gods that fail. Self. Self-importance. Self-reliance. Thinking you have things figured out. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite scriptures when God shows up demonstrating there is a God. This is the scripture from when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. It's a lot of text to see, particularly through these VBS flags, folks. So, so, so forgive me if I look like I'm a pecking bird here. <laughs> then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and is the name for all generations to use to call upon me. I love that God speaks to Moses in telling Moses who God is. God says, I am. I am who I am. Let's unpack a verse for that second point. I'm not him. There are a whole lot of scriptures that remind us we're not God. One scripture that I thought about sharing for this point is in Job, when Job and God have their back and forth, extensive back and forth. And ultimately there's a part in the story of Job where God says, where were you? when I laid the foundation of the earth, in essence. And obviously goes on way beyond that. But in in terms of encouraging, I love Isaiah 40. I love the whole chapter. But here's a section that reminds me I'm not God. 
Because God inspires Isaiah to say, you know, ask some pretty important questions here. Isaiah 40, 13 through 14. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Not me. So basic truths are great, but I'm also going to try and tease out some practicals here. Some things that I thought about to help myself. I'll share them with you. Here's a practical tip for that basic truth number one. There is a God, I'm not him. I think we need to think about how we can really spend more time not only listening to God, but letting ourselves feel and be in awe of God and think about what that means. Awesome has become a buzzword, a catchphrase. There are a lot of things we say, oh, that's awesome. Awesome, we'll do that. But let's stop and think about the definition of awe. Here's a dictionary definition of awe. It's a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Brief side note. There's some very interesting research going on in my field that looks at how the human brain processes media that's being done on how science news can become more effective at promoting science literacy. And right now, there's a PBS station that's funding a lot of work around how to produce stories to inspire awe over scientific phenomenon as a way of engaging audiences to learn more about science. Well, guess what? If that's something for media and the brain, maybe we ought to be doing that with God and spend more time being in awe of God. And I think it's important to do this in both Scripture and reflecting on Scripture as well as in our personal lives. Just daily lived experience. So I'll give you I'll give you an example of one way I recently felt awe towards God and just a lived daily experience. But at face value is kind of mundane. And then obviously you're going to have to find your own experiences that do this for you. So because of the research methods that I use in my work, I won't go into the details, I recently had to do a lot of reading on the human heart. And that reading evoked awe over God. Because that reading went into how precisely timed events in the firing neurons of the heart make the heart 
work to pump blood and keep us alive. If you do this, you can feel your pulse. There's some pretty amazing God-inspired stuff that's going on behind that boom, 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 boom. That's daily life. I encourage you to figure out your own experiences that deliver that kind of awe in daily life. But obviously it's important to look at Scripture. So we're going to go to Isaiah. Isaiah 40, 25 to 31. I apologize, I think I'm knocking a mic around somewhere. If it gets too distracting, let me know. So Isaiah 40, 25 to 31. I'm just going to read it to you rather than put it on the slide. To whom then will you compare me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Raise your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who brings out their multitude by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Scripture's about God's awesomeness. I'm going to give you two practical tips on this one. It's great to be in awe of God, but ultimately... We need to submit to the one and only sovereign God. If God is worthy of awe, God should be worthy of being submitted to. Well, and that's hard. Proverbs 3. It's read in our scripture reading. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It's tough stuff to do. And I am still struggling with this, trying to figure it out. And I probably will till the day I die. But I'll give you some thoughts. What does submission to God look like on a daily basis? Here's one idea. Take it or leave it. I've had past religious experiences where the idea of submitting to God was actually more grounded in submitting to a man, a human. Let's not do that. But if we're submitting to God daily... Just maybe, perhaps, we're doing what the Apostle Paul refers to as walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. And we all can figure out what that ought to look like, right? Because Galatians 5 tells us about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Perhaps submission to God looks like a life where those fruits of the Spirit are coming out and growing because you're walking by the Spirit. You're walking with the Spirit. 
Moving on to basic truth number two. This God, the great I am, sure seems to love love. See what I, see what I did there, Beth? <laughs> Clever wordplay. Love, love. There's the product of eight years of smart aleck DJ work and grad school. But God sure seems to love love. Scripture that we're all familiar with, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. You can finish the rest of that in your head. But here's my favorite that shows me a loving God in the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3. Fourteen through seventeen. Shout for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout and triumph, Israel. Rejoice and triumph with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will no longer fear disaster. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior. And here we go with the last part. The climax of this, if you will. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That's scripture I often go to for encouragement. Oftentimes we can get a view of Old Testament God as angry God. But Zephaniah talks about this God that rejoices over us and is quiet in his love. The other point here about this basic truth is God commands us to love. I'm doing finger gymnastics, pulling up these scriptures on my phone. So bear with me. God commands us to love. So I think you're getting the idea that because I'm a media professor, I spend some time on social media. And I've been seeing over Twitter lately tweets that say, remember to be kind. Be kind. Be kind to each other. God calls us higher. Kindness is great. But God commands us to love. Story that, that all of us are familiar with from Matthew. Matthew 22, 30, 34 through 40. It's the story of a 
an interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, just reminding you here, folks, of what you've already heard. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. I think it's useful getting reminded of core scriptures that we've heard a bunch of times, though. So no surprise here. Practical tip for this biblical truth. Grow in your ability to love, but also you better be ready for some growing pains. That's hard. can be hard. An idea referencing that from Romans 12.9, love must be free of hypocrisy. Other translations, love must be genuine. You can't just say, oh yeah, I love you, man. Love is a lot more than that. In fact, obviously, we need to remember what love is. One of the curses of being an ex 1980s DJ is whenever I say that phrase, an old song pops into my head. <laughs> what is love? Anyway. Or Tina Turner's what, What's Love Got to Do With It? All kinds of great songs about love. We're going to go to the scripture. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 13. I told you we were just going to talk about basics today. I'm going to read 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And in remembering what love is, Later on in that chapter, the Apostle Paul reminds us why love is so doggone important. We're going to jump down to the end of that chapter. Verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul here makes a point that in, I think, in in discussions of 1 Corinthians 13 can often get brushed over because it comes kind of down towards the end. And we get focused on, okay, I need to be more loving, so I've got to be patient, kind, you know, on and on and on. But Paul says a pretty important point down here at the end of the chapter about why love is so critical. Starting verse 12. 
And folks, it's about perspective. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. There's an idea in there about the limits of human perception, human knowledge, human understanding. For now we see dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, and love remain, these three. Again, you can finish this with me. But the greatest of these is love. So what that tells me, personally, this is personally convicting. Spare you the details, but there have been a lot of life experiences over the last year that have tested my ability to show genuine love. This tells me that when I think I got it figured out, when I think I know better, when I think I know what's best for people and or society, maybe, just maybe what I really ought to try and focus on is being more loving. That's been personally convicting for me over over the past year in some life events. Basic truth number three. Well, again, basics, so no duh. We need to humbly seek this God that never fails. I'm going to do a play on Chris's Outstanding Lesson series again. Because as part of that series, he gave a, a great lesson on the God that never fails. We need to seek this God that never fails. From Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Notice how it says just it's, it's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. There's some great encouraging scriptures that give us promises from God about seeking this God that never fails. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. Great promise from the Old Testament, God. Now let's jump up to the New Testament. The words of Christ. Again, basic scripture we've heard a bunch of times. But let this sink in. Listen to it and let it sink into you. This is Christ speaking a promise of God. Matthew 7, 78. 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Promises of God. Seek, and you'll find. I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. So, practical tip for basic truth number three. I'm going to do the wise thing and let Jesus say it. From the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat or what are we to wear for clothing? Your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you. The basic truths about a faithful God that never fails. So I think they're just kind of Two little points I'd like to make about this this last practical tip. And I'm going to borrow a point that Chris made during his lesson series. It's really convicting. One way of knowing what we're seeking is by asking ourselves and looking at how are we spending the time and the resources that God provides us? The geeky professor in me says, well, there's the data. That's the data to be interpreted. How are we investing our time and other resources that God provides to us? Another thought that came to mind with this practical tip is, you know, in terms of, for myself, just thinking through, does my life look like I'm seeking God that never fails? And perhaps one way to think about that is to ask myself, revisiting another part of the Sermon on the Mount, is ask myself, Am I letting the light of my life? He says, let your light shine before men. Am I letting my light shine in a way that is true to the rest of that point Jesus makes? Because he says, don't just let your light shine. He says, let your light shine so that. That's a critical phrase. So that. People will see good works. And, here's the kicker, glorify God. Does my life look like that? Over the past year, I've struggled, honestly. So that's it, Belgrade Church.
Of course, I had to put a kick, goofy picture up on my last slide. Because sometimes I feel like old Doc Brown from the Back to the Future movies. And my wife appropriately calls me the nutty professor. Life gets a bit crazy with me. And I think about a lot of stuff. It makes my head spin and try to figure things out. By the way, I'd love to have one of those gadgets. But I need to remember some simple basic truths. There is a God. I'm not Him. This God sure loves love. And I need to humbly seek the God that never fails. That's pretty much it. I'll leave you with a little humorous story. I had this story relayed to me by my mom about my uncle. My uncle and, and his grandson were riding home from worship one Sunday, and this adorable five-year-old gets real thoughtful and says, You know, Granddad, Apparently this was after a really long-winded lesson, which I know I'm pushing. So do you know, Granddad, if I was ever asked to preach, I'd think real hard about what I'm going to say. I'd say it, and we'd all go to lunch. So there you have it, Belgrade Church. I've said it. Hopefully you're blessed enough to enjoy a good lunch and the rest of the Sunday. If you've got a spiritual deed, if you need encouragement, like to request prayers, the elders of the church are here to meet your need. Everyone in here is hopefully here to meet your needs and encourage you along the way. But I've said it, so let's stand and sing.